when you start realizing that everything you do, think, say, is affecting everything else, then you realize and you'll be more cognizant of what you do think and say. American Real presents our debut episode with Anthony Brunelli. So what kind of life do you want to have? Do you want to have a joyous, prosperous, abundant life? Or do you want to think about your pain or you want to think about, you know, anger is a feeling that you have. Own it. You're angry for a reason. Be angry. Just do it with love. Welcome to American Real. This is Roger Brooks, and my guest today is world-renowned artist Anthony Brunelli, whose amazing talents puts him as one of the most sought-after artists in the genre of photorealism. He's represented by the Louis K. Mizell Gallery in Soho, and his work has taken him all over the world, where he's captured incredible panorama scenes from cities on multiple continents. He's also the owner of the Anthony Brunelli Fine Arts Gallery in upstate New York. Tony and I have had a long history of friendship. His energy is infectious, and it's certainly no mistake why he's my first guest on this debut episode. Our discussion goes far deeper than the layers of paint on his canvas, and he's a living example of how our thoughts shape our lives and are as important as our actions. To see more of his work, go to anthonybernelli.com. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and share it with your friends. A special thanks goes out to our partners and sponsors, especially Happy Socks, cool socks for fun people. If you don't have a pair, you need to get some. I'll be wearing Happy Socks each and every episode. Finally, a debt of gratitude goes out to Brian Rose and the entire team at London Real and the London Real Academy. They have paved the way for American Real, setting a high bar, and I hope to make them proud. And now, without further ado, I bring to you Mr. Anthony Brunelli. Ten years ago, I interviewed 100 fascinating people and documented their stories in a two-volume book series. Today, my journey continues. I'll be engaging with captivating guests, having candid, meaningful, and uncensored discussion as I aim to reveal the passion that comes from within, unlocking the mysteries needed to make purposeful change. My objective is to be a connector and enlighten listeners through stories of struggle and success, heartache and inspiration, offering solutions to challenges we face each and every day. This is a broadcast of real people, real stories, and real conversation. Everyone has a story. My job is to ensure their stories are told. My name is Roger Brooks, inspired by Brian Rose of London Real and the London Real Academy and the Broadcast Yourself Accelerator course, I now bring you American Real.
Tony Bernelli, welcome to American Real. Thanks, Raj. A long time coming. <laughs> Absolutely. Good to be here. Um, so right off the bat, uh, you know, when I think about um, people like professional athletes or professional actors or anyone at the top of their game, um, a great deal of practice and training goes into staying at that level, staying on top. Um, so my question is, and I'm sure many people have the same question, do the same rules apply to an artist? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's uh, pretty much across the board. It's uh, 10,000 hours uh, to become an expert in any field. So it doesn't matter if it's art or music or science or whatever. Um, and I think it really has to be kind of pretty focused uh, attention, you know, not a lot of disciplines. Like, so you could be a painter and a sculptor and, uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody who does etching. I think it's got to, you got to focus that energy. I think you could start off uh, more varied, but I think it has to be pretty focused. Yeah, I guess I figured uh, you say 10,000 hours, you've been painting for over 20, 25 years, so I think that puts you around 50,000 hours, so <laughs> you're, you're well up there. Um, so uh, what's the life of a professional artist like? You know, what's, your, what's your typical day? I mean, you're spending, I would assume, a lot of time alone, a lot of time to think. Yeah, uh, I don't think I have a typical day. Uh, especially now, I'd say over the last five plus years, uh, things have kind of changed more from just uh, painting and 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 having the center of my life around that to just kind of waking up every day and not knowing what is going to happen. Have a general intention of what what I want to do, but um, and has that changed over? Oh yeah, over time. Oh yeah. I mean, it definitely changed. Um, I don't paint as much as I used to, but when I do, I am highly productive. We had the opportunity to go out on a hike uh, last weekend, and that was fun, a lot of fun. Thanks for that. And But there were three things that day that you said that, that really stood out to me. And the first one was this. You said, our thoughts shape our lives. And then you said something even deeper. You said, our thoughts can actually affect lives. Um, so again, for someone who spends a lot of time uh, alone, um, can you expand on this? What do you mean? Uh, well, everything is everything, everything that is or ever was or ever will be is, was based on a thought. Um, so there's really tremendous energy in that. And, um, I don't know if a lot of people think about that. I know I didn't uh, prior to five or six years ago. You just because you're just doing, you know, you're just in the you're in the midst of that ten thousand hours and trying to become something. Um, but but you know when you start to realize that everything that ever that that you ever did was based on a thought that you had, um, and then an implementation of that thought. Uh, it's really pretty powerful and it also goes uh, the other way uh, for something that is maybe um, what somebody would view as a negative thought you know it could it could spiral and then it can become um, so thoughts are really powerful things and they don't even they, they don't just affect you because they affect the center of 
who, your universe, but then they affect uh, outwardly. So if you take, uh, just take my life, my career, you know, I had a thought of to do a painting, I do a painting, I have an idea of, of what I want to paint, so uh, I have to start thinking, or what do I have to do? I have to go to that place because I take photographs of the work, uh, then compile it. So that whole process of going there is affecting not only me, but the people that I'm interacting with. And then the process of doing it, and the process of then painting it, and then the process of showing it, and then okay. the process of somebody buying it. It's just this, it's like, it, it, it's exponential the amount of, uh, of how many people are affected with just one single thought. So you multiply that how many thoughts you have during the day. Now, not all your thoughts you manifest into um, creation, but the real power is, is if you really want something, then you, really be, you, you should really think about that a lot very creatively and it will manifest itself. It's just the law kind of of the universe. So, um, you also talked about uh, a daily practice that you have, and uh, you mentioned two things, uh, two affirmations, non-judgment and love. So, uh, can you please explain? Yeah, I have, um, you know, I have a daily practice and a, a morning ritual that I do, and uh, it pretty much stays pretty true uh, to what it is. Some, there's some variations when you travel, you know, you have, you have certain things that you do that you don't do or, or you, you uh, modify. But there's two things that you don't need to modify and that's like the thing I do before I get out of bed. You know, it's, it, I don't just get wake up and okay, I, I kind of have these two things that I, I think about and it's just an intention, it's all it is. Uh, and I don't beat myself up if I'm not 100% through the day. But I tell myself that today I'm going to practice non-judgment, and today I'm going to make, try to make love the dominant emotion in my life. And you know, when you have that practice daily, it kind of manifests itself, just like what we were talking about earlier about the thought. So that you're, if you're doing it on a daily practice, and you know, you could sometimes do it, do it throughout the day. You know, get yourself in your situation, and so you have those. Um, you have those situations that come up and, and all of a sudden your body tells you that you're not feeling the way you'd like to feel. Your pulse could start racing, your hair could start standing up on your arms, um, uh, you can start to, to, to hear your heart flutter. Those are, those are the things that say, oh, okay, um, those are the warning signs. And that, that's, they're actually beautiful things because uh, you can catch things before they turn into something that are things that you don't maybe want to manifest. And then that's when you say to yourself, oh, okay, uh, am I practicing non-judgment here? Am I doing or saying the thing that is, would be, you know, loving or the most uh, effective way to, to, to communicate with somebody? Um, but it's one of those things that no matter what, every day, it's, that's what I do before I get out of bed. No, it's great, and you know, ever since we talked about that, I've, I've been thinking about it. And it's, it's very hard to do. Um, you know, I catch myself throughout the day, whether I'm on a business call or whether I'm talking to my my wife or kids, and you know, some type of gossip may come up. You know, it, you start to think about it, and you say, "Wait a minute, here, this is judging. This is judgment." And um, I think there's a lot to that, where that that the negative energy of judgment could be passed along just as easily as positive energy 
of, of non-judgment or, or practicing, you know, uh, behavior that's, that's more positive in, in general. Yeah. Oh, it's not an easy thing, but that's why you need to practice it. That's why it has to be a daily practice so that when, um, when, because those situations are never going to stop. They're never, ever going to stop. Your days are going to be filled with times to get angry. Your days are going to be filled times to have anxiety, times to be depressed, times to have sadness, uh, feelings of lost, uh, feelings of, am I going to die? Am I going to get cancer? I mean, it's nonstop. And I don't care who you are or what you are, whether you're the Dalai Lama or you're uh, Charles Manson, we all have those feelings and they never stop every day. The difference between a Charles Manson and a Dalai Lama is the fact that Dalai Lama has a practice that he's instilled in his life and he practices non-judgment as, as effectively as he can and love, whereas Charles Manson necessarily didn't do that. So um, the real key is to have the awareness and then the second key is to allow those situations to be as they are don't get mad that you're angry just acknowledge it and then soon it'll be diffused right no there's two good lessons there um you know the awareness for sure and um you know just the practice i think as westerners the last thing we do is practice things that are really important like our mind body soul and um but it seems like there's a a change coming in the world. There's a lot of people on to this type of discussion, and, and it's being brought, you know, brought out in in every form of media um, that I see. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's not an accident, and you know, the world is the world of technology um, and the pace of life has just dramatically changed, and it's leaving a lot of people with a lot of anxiety and it's leaving some people behind. Uh, I know that, you know, you and I both were, uh, I guess we're generation X. We're kind of like, and I actually think it's a really great generation to be a part of because, um, we were kind of in the middle of technology where we didn't have it. And I remember in high school when you had to sign up for, to use one, one or two computers in the entire school. Right. And you had to sign up and you could use it for 15 minutes or whatever. So we weren't, we still did things. We still went out and played. We still had, you know, did things with sports and teams and, and uh, didn't have technology to think for us. And, and, and now the kids today, everybody has a laptop or everybody has a, an iPad in the school and they're, mm-hmm. they're doing that. They can use calculators now for math class. Um, so it's a completely different world. So I really like the fact that we got a little bit of the technology to see where we were going, but we were able to live life in a way that is hands-on, I should say, you know, mm-hmm. um, less, uh, less about information and more about experience. And the interesting thing that I think where we're going is that because we're so spiraling kind of out of control with this, this, this breakneck speed of, of technology and how it's changing our lives, that we're going to shift back to experience. Um, because the amount of information that's out there, you can literally just get on your phone and Google this and that, or go to YouTube and say, oh, how do we do this? I mean, I know setting up for this, there's a couple times you just said, all right, I, I, I don't have time. I'm going to go YouTube. How do you do this? Boom. Right. Within 30 seconds, you had your answer. So it, it makes life easier. The, the, the difference is, is that you have all these different generations and how they react to it. And 
there's a disconnect. There's a human disconnect that's happening with every single generation. Um, and I think that, that that is the real problem because we need that connection. Um, we're not robots. We're not a machine as of yet, but we still thrive on, on, on human uh, interaction and, and communication. And that, that I don't think will ever die. And if it does, then I think it's the end of the species. Um, okay. that we know it right right um that's just so fascinating um the last thing that i just wanted to mention um is you said this when we were on our hike you said anger is a feeling you have own it you're angry for a reason be angry just do it with love <laughs> that really struck me so in your mind how does that work how, how do you how do you do Anger with love. How does that happen? Yeah, well, um, I, believe me, I, I didn't know it until uh, I uh, experienced situations where I, I, I knew deep down I had to change with my anger. And I did it mainly with my relationship with Emily, my wife, because I wanted that change. I didn't like the fact that I had a hair trigger on situations that I was saying to myself, what are you getting so angry about? And these were kind of learned behaviors that I grew up with. So I kind of was mimicking what I grew up with. And I knew that I didn't like it when that, that I experienced that between my mother and father. So it was, it was, it was a mirror, you know, that those situations are mirrors and, and there's, there's two things you can do it. You can just ignore it or you can say, I want to do something about it. I want to change that image that I see in the mirror. Right. And I didn't know how, but I did it through meditations and things would come to me, but I did it through books and, 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 and listening to people. One of them actually is Tony Robbins and there's a book right back there, Awaken the Giant Within, which is really powerful. I suggest anybody who has any kind of difficulty or is struggling with anything that that's kind of like a, a, a general book that can help you in so many different things. And he has chapters on relationships. Yeah. I love that book. And there was actually, um, uh, observations that you do as a couple like writing things down and then and then meeting as a couple and going over it and it was tr so transformative for both of us um, and you know the the one the one thing that he said is that you ha you cannot you have to own that situation with 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 being angry but you can do it with love and so one of the ways that I picked up a cue was that when I was angry, because it was all about communication with him, and I decided that I was going to explain to my wife while I was angry, that I was angry, and that I didn't know why I was angry, but I was angry. Wow. And the other thing... Did that help? Oh my God, it was just, it was like uh, immediately uh, transformed and changed the situation mm. because now she had a cue. Mm -hmm. Instead of just saying, "Wow, this guy has a hair trigger," I don't, I don't know what makes him mad. You know, I'm sure uh, she was walking around with eggshells, and and I know my kids growing up were probably like, like they would say, oh, "I don't know what would set Dad off," mm -hmm. and I just knew that I wanted to change that. It was something about me that I didn't, I, I didn't want to continue, and it immediately changed things. And it, believe me. I want to tell you this. It was not easy. It is not easy to make those kind of changes because you have to really look at yourself and you have to say, 
I'm really a monster. I'm being a monster. And it's the first step probably in alcohol recovery or is to 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 say that I'm an addict or I am I'm an anger monster. Uh, I have a hair trigger. And that was the key for me. So I, I needed a tool that could bring me to the next level. And that was, okay, I don't know what else to do but to say, I'm angry at you right now and I don't know why. And I, my voice would be raising and I would be you know, animated and whatever. And I would see the reaction that she had. So instead of her having to defend or to uh, isolate, sometimes she put a smile on her face and we would then start laughing. Right. So that that was that was really uh, extremely powerful, uh, and is one of the tools that I continue to use to this day in a lot of different situations, n- not just that. And so it goes back to that whole thing about thought. So then you are actually in control of the, the situation, in terms of your emotion, and that's what is happening to us as a society is that we're allowing these outside influences, whether it be people or situations, turn us into whatever monsters or whatever where we have to get back to the point of that we are in control you may not like the situation like there's still things that she does that really anger me or annoy me or whatever but now i have the tools to say okay is this worth it and if it is then let's communicate about it right and that's the key word that's just what i was going to say next is communication Uh, we all need to be better communicators and Again, just talking about it, having these conversations, I think, you know, for me, same thing. Uh, to, to be as transparent as we could be every day, even in the moment of, of anger or, or anxiety. Which is, yeah, which is the hardest. It's it hard is, it is, it is so hard. But you're very competitive, I know. <laughs> a lot of people I know and work with are very competitive. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I think there's a, there's a trait there that, um, you know, we expect a lot from ourselves and we expect a lot from others. But the world doesn't always work that way. So the world doesn't evolve around us. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, that, that right there is, that was, that was the big awakening for me, was the fact that even though, even though I have everything that I need is inside of me and that I have that power, the, the shift for me was, I probably always knew that, even as a child. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to, to put in those 10,000 hours. Because I think you have to have that before you start the trek of the 10,000 hours. That doesn't, ha- that doesn't happen by accident, per se, I don't think. I think you have to have that internal mechanism that says, Wow, I know that that's inside of me. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care... If it leads to money, I don't care if it leads to this. It's something that I have to do. The, the shift for me and the difference was the fact that I changed it to the world doesn't revolve around me and this mechanism. Whereas it's what can I give back to the world through this mechanism? How can I, uh, like the, 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 the saying that I love most uh, is what you, want in the life, what you want most in life do for some, someone else. And, and, and that really is very powerful because it is that law of attraction that happens when you do that. So everybody wins. You win because you're giving and you get back and they win because they're receiving and, and, and they'll eventually give it back. It's just, it's, it's just really powerful.
And it seems so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it's those simple things are really, really hard yeah. for the, for human condition right now. It, it, exactly, and, and old habits are hard to break, as we know. So, uh, if you can take us back to the day where this all started for you, um, I understand that your journey of sorts, um, you know, to mindfulness uh, actually began when you were injured, when you had a, mm-hmm. a, a hockey sports injury. Um, so can you take us back to that day? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, boy, just about four years ago now. Wow, I can't believe it's four years. And, it, and my mother has, was very, very sick. She has had, she had stage four cancer for eight years, multiple myelomas, had stem cell transplants and chemo and radiation and, you know, uh, it's amazing that she lived as long as she she lived, um, but it was in October, and this was when I think we were three years, three or four, yeah, three years into living in Florida, and Emily, my wife, was living there full time, and I was going back and forth, spending months away from each other, um, and I really loved to play hockey, so I'd spent a lot of time up here in the winter playing hockey, and because my mother was dying I wanted to be around her as much sure. as possible um, even though it was very hard it, it was now when I look back it was extremely hard to um, to be a part of that for so long um, and again I don't want to say that it, you know look what she had to go through but um, it, it it does affect you in ways that you just don't know until after uh, but it, it was in October and she had come back from one of her doctor visits and um, she had she had said, "Oh, I forgot to tell the doctor about these lesions that were on my leg." Which I was like, "Oh my God!" I thought that was the main reason you were going there, because these new lesions had popped out of her leg. Uh, multiple myeloma is a a blood-borne cancer that metastasizes in the bones and then creates lesions and breaks, and it's a very painful Gosh. disease. So when she had these lesions pop out of her leg. Um, this wasn't something new. Never had happened in the entire uh, seven and a half or eight years that she'd been going through this. So I called up a doctor friend of mine and my brother, who my older brother, who's a forensic investigator who knows a lot about um, these kind of conditions. Um, we, we consulted with him as well. And basically this was the beginning of the end and that no, no person lives longer than I think it was four months once these stations stop, yeah, because it's just so, this is it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way to really reverse it. So um, that had happened, and so that kind of was the, the shift that was like, wow, this is it. You know, uh, probably four or five times she beat it. We, we thought she was going to die, and, and so this was it. And, and it was like a week or so after that that I had gone up there to visit them. And um, I, I won't get into the, the depth of it, but an argument started between my mother and I unbeknownst to me I didn't realize that this was it was uh, I was talking matter-of-factly about a situation in my life that turned into and escalated into something that was uh, obviously touched a nerve in her and I, I didn't know it and at that time I didn't have the tools of the things that we had just talked about and I didn't have the ability to once I was attacked even though it was my dying mother I didn't stop myself and I tried I tried for a long time and she didn't I, it came out of nowhere I, I, I still to this day am and am, am perplexed 
at the uh, velocity and veracity of, of this situation. And in the end, it, it, the thing that really stunned me was that she always turned it to God. And at that time, I really didn't have a belief system in really anything like that, any spiritual. Okay. I was raised as a Catholic, but, but no longer practice it, nor did I really want to be a part of any religion. And I didn't even know if I believed in the concept of God at that point. So she point blank asked me, do you believe in God? Tell me you believe in God. And I didn't know what to say to her. And this is at this point, I was like, now I'm, now I don't know what to do. I, this, I'm in this argument with my mother that I won't, I came up to visit her. She's dying. And you don't want to lie to her. I don't want to lie to her. I don't want, I mean, it just was, it was a no win situation. And I basically just had, had to, had to stop it I just had to stop it. I just said, mom, this is enough's enough. And, and, and it didn't get rectified. And, and there was some silence between us for days. And that's when I had the hockey injury. Um, a few days after that, and it was pretty. It was it was pretty um, pretty bad hockey hit. I was blindsided. I had my head down. I mean, I did all of the things that I shouldn't have done because um, I've been playing hockey for almost twenty years, adult hockey. And when I look back now, I really feel that um, I feel that I was trying to um, uh, cause pain to myself for that. Subconsciously, I didn't go out there and purpose to, to get hurt, but I think that I that I think that it affected my soul. I think that argument with my mother was it, it manifested itself on the ice, and I I allowed myself to be extremely vulnerable, and vulnerable I was because I don't even know what really happened to me. I got hit so hard, and when I got hit with my head down, the force of the hit was so powerful that it, it flung me back, and I landed on my neck. So hmm. I landed on my neck and my, my skates went this way and everybody thought I had broke my neck. Oh my and then everybody ran over to me. All the, I mean, it like play stopped immediately. And I, all of a sudden, you know, after I get my breath, <gasps> you know, I mean, I'm looking up. I actually, I saw a white light. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know where I was or what was going on. And uh, I see these guys and I'm still trying to catch my breath and breathe. And they're all telling me to stay down, stay down. Because I'm, you know, hearing their account from it, they thought I had broke my neck. Oh. So I got to the point where I just had to sit up because I had, that was the only way I, think, I thought I was going to catch my breath. You know, I don't know if you've ever gotten hit oh, hard sure. and you're just trying, to find the, just trying to find the way that the so oxygen can get into your system faster. And so when I got up, I, I you know, basically sat up on the ice and you know, composed me and they kind of, two guys kind of helped me off the ice and you know, you're in that shock period and, and so I knew it because 15 years prior to this, I had a shoulder injury where I broke my shoulder and tore my rotator cuff. And at that point, I knew that I only had about a couple minutes to get my pads off before the pain was going to set in when the shock wears off. Because sure. it was vibrations, you know, like I got hit and, and when I, I mean, I just felt my body vibrating. Um, so I quickly got in there and I got my uh, pads off and I quickly called my brother because now my wife is in Florida. Uh, I, you know, I'm living up here alone. And he came and took me to the emergency room. And, you know, uh, to, to, to kind of round this story up, it, it turned into the fact that I had a lot of soft tissue damage, nothing broken, and uh, what they call whip, you know, whiplash. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually think I had a brainstem injury because it just manifested itself in just the most awful um, situation I had ever been in. I developed post-traumatic stress from it. Um, I had terrible crippling anxiety 
you know, I had these unbelievable sensations that would shoot up my neck and I literally thought I was going crazy. And I thought that somebody else had inhabited my body. I mean, I was, I became like a shell of myself and I didn't even know if I was going to get better. And I had thoughts that if I wasn't going to get better, that I didn't want to live anymore, which was really an awful feeling. So this, you know, this is a really dark, dark time. And the situation, my mother never got resolved and she became a mother again because I was hurt and I was her child. So like it just kind of got swept up under the rug. And the thing that really bothered me the most is that I was not getting better when I was up here alone. I mean, it, it took a long time just to heal, but I knew that I needed a support system. And since my, since Emily and my dog were down in Florida, I just knew that I had to get to them. And it was, I was torn because I was leaving my mother who I knew I was dying. And I knew that she at that point only had a maximum of, of two to four months to live. So how much time are we talking about now that, that has passed? I mean, we're talking weeks where there was still, Yeah. So still it, this, this injury happened the very end of October. And I think I was in Florida by the first week in December. Okay. Still with pain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of pain, but more, the, I have to be honest with you. The pain was bad, but the, 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 the uh, mental emotional was the, the worst part of it. You know, uh, I had never had anxiety like this before. I, I, I couldn't turn it off. I mean, I, I, I now I, I sympathize. I understand people who have these disorders and who have post-traumatic stress, what they're going through. I know why they kill themselves. I know why they are addicted to drugs. Um, I, I understand it. And that's the other point you, you told me at an earlier time is that you were determined not to take any medicine. Yeah, well, I, I, I've never been a proponent of pharmaceutical drugs. I just, I've, like, I didn't drink for the longest time because I didn't, I didn't have coffee because I didn't, for the, for the most of my adult life, I didn't take any kind of stimulant or, or, or drug or, or, or beer or, or alcohol or anything for the longest time because I didn't want anything to alter my state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got older and, you know, you start traveling and you have a wine and, and whatever. And I never, I never drank excessively. It was just really socially. But I never wanted to have a pharmaceutical. I just never did. And so I, I had to have one to get down. I called up a friend because I couldn't get on a plane. I was just too, uh, too, too wrecked to, to be trapped in a plane, uh, which is what I thought I would be strapped. Is And he drove me down. And, um, you know, I really, it's, it was a godsend to get up for, for me to get down there. It began the healing. But then I had the situation where like, all right, now I've got my mother back there. Right. What do I do? You know? And so we were able to go back for the holiday a little bit. My, my problem was my wife was working in the country club industry and that's their season to be busy. I mean, working nonstop. Sure. So she was able to get some time off because I knew that this was going to be the last Christmas holiday season with my mother, and which which it was. And so we were able to go, and the whole family kind of con- convened here in Binghamton for that. And uh, I'll never forget when I my they went to which was which would be the last doctor appointment for my mother, which I think was sometime in late January. And I told my brother, I said, go there and test because I want to be a Skype, you know, uh, FaceTime me because he had an iPad and they had Wi-Fi. So I said, make sure, um, set this up before because I want to be a part of that meeting. And I'll, I'll never forget that because I said, I, on my computer, 
where I paint, mm-hmm. I have, you know, the thing. So I had the FaceTime and then they had that. So it was really, that that's where technology is wonderful mm-hmm. because I was able, my mother was watching, like as she was waiting for the doctor to come in, she was, she's like, can you just paint? And I'm like, oh, sure, mom. Oh. So she watched as I was painting and she was there. And, and so we were talking and, you know, she, to that time she was still determined. I'm going to beat this. I mean, that was her. She's like, I'm gonna, I'm still fighting for you guys. I'm gonna do it. Wonderful woman. And uh, so it was great. The doctor came in, and the very interesting thing for me with this technology was, even though I wasn't in this room, I had a perspective that nobody in that room had, because I saw everybody, and I saw everybody's reaction in real, in real time. Where they didn't. I mean, because if you're you're looking at me right now, so if somebody was right there and then somebody was right there, right, you couldn't see their reaction. You'd go like this, but you couldn't see that split second reaction that I saw. I literally had them all in my frame, and it was, it felt like time had stopped. Wow. Because I literally saw the doctor fumbling his words. I saw my mo- the hope still in my mother's eye. I saw my father with like a deer in headlights and I saw my brother with the pain of knowing what was about to come. And I'm just the witness to this. I'm literally just the witness to all of this. And finally, the doctor had to say, Carol, there's nothing we can do. And that you, the next step is hospice. And I saw, I saw the, my mother just go flush. And she just sat there. Were you emotional at that time? I was numb. You were numb. I was numb. I, 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 um, the thing about it is, is that because I had that perspective, I, I, I almost had to do, I almost was the director because the doctor wasn't, he, I could tell. So, um, I asked before this happened, I asked if, if, and I, I had to do it in such a, I had to ask the doctor if we could have a conference with my mother not in the room. And she's already in the room. Um, and nobody was getting the hint. Because, you know, I'm saying things every once in a while. And so finally, uh, he asked, I asked my mother, I was like, Mom, do you mind if, you just step out in the hall if they wheel you out in the hall and I just discuss things with the doctor and that's and she did and 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 so that's kind of really how it transpired and um, he basically said that she has 10 days to two weeks wow. to live wow. because they had had her they had they did her uh, kidney functions and mm-hmm. their her tests and that's really what that's really what tests it. That's when they know. Like that, I always wondered how sure. you know when to put somebody in hospice, right. and it's really your kidney function. Mm. Okay. Because what happens when is that you start getting these things, uh, whatever calcium. Mm-hmm. You get calcium buildup, and it's it's an extremely high level because your what was happening is the cancer was metastasizing so fast that the kidney couldn't, you know, keep, up. keep it up, and mm. and eventually it was just going to shut down uh, everything. So I, uh, I said to the, that's when I said to the doctor, I had to get him out of the room. I'm like, I'm in Florida. I have to know that that was the whole purpose of talking to the doctor. I'm sure. like, do I come home tomorrow? Do I come home 
in a week, what do I have to do? We, you know, we'll do whatever, but I have to tell my entire family because my kids are in different locations as well. And what did he say? He's like, I said, Doc, I said, what if it were you and you were in my situation, what would you do? And do you know what he said to me? I would be on the next plane home. Wow. So then it became real. So now it's like, now it's, you don't have time to be emotional because I, ha- I had to like now book flights. Uh, Emily had to call work. We had to get a leave of absence. We had to go up there. She had to tell them in the heart of the season, we don't know when we're going to be back. Um, this is what we have to do. And I had to get my kids, get them flights booked or drive in and, and, and have them come in. And, and so, I mean, it, I have to say he, he was right on in just about everything that he said in the amount of time. And I'm very, very fortunate that we came when we came because we still had a couple of days where she was coherent before she went in the coma. But it was just amazing how fast it happened after that period of time because she literally sat in that doctor's office in the very beginning watching me paint just with the most unbelievable enthusiasm and will. And uh, I think that even broke her. So... Um, you know, you never know. Is it the power of the mind? Uh, I mean, there's a point where we all die. We all have to, to come to face to face with the fact that we are impermanent and everything is. Um, and that was part of the journey that I had to take because that actually was the real issue to, to the real backbone of why I was having all the problems that I was having. And that was the adversity to change. So after your mom passed, how long is this when your 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 journey began <clears throat> as far as all the re- reading that you've done and uh, the meditation how long did the, the did the injury well the journey last? started well before that because i was just trying to heal and at that time i had told uh emily that healing was going to be the lifestyle now that I didn't know if I was going to paint again. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had to do whatever I could do to heal because I was doing it all naturally. So that's when I, you know, again, technology, Google, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress, uh, neck injury, uh, da, 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 you know, you just start finding these natural ways and everything pointed to meditation, yoga, breathing, walks in nature, communicating constantly, being loved. Uh, trying to, to find your support system. That's where I'm blessed. I'm blessed with the fact that I had, I am very competitive. So turn that competitive nature into something very positive instead of just competing on the playing field. I turned it into life or death. For yourself. For myself. And that's a, when, when, when you're competing for life or death, if it doesn't radically change your life, I, I don't know what will. Because if, if you lose means death. Uh, I, I mean, I was face to face with the Grim Reaper. I, I had never had that happen in my entire life. I mean, I literally was like, okay, I know the real, if this doesn't get better, I'm, I'm going to die somehow, some way uh, sooner than, than I want to. That's really scary. It's uh, well, it, there's, there's nothing. I, it's it. I mean, it's the final, it's the final uh, chasm, as we say, and um, but it brought a, it. It enlightened me in so many different ways, uh, and I, I'm so I'm so thankful for that particular journey. Um, but through the meditation, through the yoga, through all of the things, the reading, my brother would send me books. 
tell me you know things podcasts which is what we're doing right now which is one of the main thrusts of why I think this is so extremely important because this is how people are communicating now um, and the fact that it's free and the fact that it's it's so there's so many different topics that you could go find whatever you want I mean this is what is so positive to, for me right now and that's why I'm so uh, excited about where we're going in our future is that we have this unbelievable power now uh, to to gain this kind of insight at home in a bedroom whatever you don't you know you literally just have access all you need is the internet that's why it's so power that's why internet uh, connectivity is it should be free and access throughout the world um, and, and, and that's the power of, of what will change because I, I did it all naturally you know um, and, and again I think that law of attraction and that thought process and how thought becomes you know first it's thought and then you speak it and then you do it and then it manifests it's it's that's how creation starts so that's how that's why I, I say that thought process is so powerful that make sure your thoughts are aligned into what you want out of life and I did not want anxiety I did not want fear I was so fearful about everything I was afraid of everything at that particular time I was so afraid of dying I was so afraid of getting cancer I was so afraid of being paralyzed what if I moved wrong? What if I did this wrong? What so if the doctors didn't know? Because I really didn't get a lot of tests. Because at, at one point, I was like, okay, uh, I got to do this on my own. And it was when I went into the fear was when it really became extremely powerful for me. Where real change started happening. When, when you have neck pain and you say to yourself, I got to do this. And I don't care if I'm going to die or get paralyzed. But I got to see. I got to test this. That's when it becomes really powerful because when you do it and you're okay and then you start to improve, then you say to yourself, wow, what else can I do? How can I, how can I make a positive change in this area of my life? Right. So I became very, very receptive and very open to a lot of different ideas and ways that I probably never would have been in the past. So in some ways, do you think, you kind of referred to it earlier a little bit, do you think the injury was purposeful? Oh, uh, in your life? Yeah, suffering is very purposeful. Suffering is the only way in which we make real change. Now that when I say that, I don't I don't say you want to incur suffering in your life. But suffering is going to happen in your life. So accept the fact that you are going to suffer. You cannot live life without suffering, but it's it's what you attach to that suffering, it's how you react to that suffering, it's what you do with that suffering. Suffering is a gift. It always has been a gift. Suffering happens for a reason. I, I like to think that suffering is a way for your soul to speak to you. And that's a beautiful thing. It tells you you're off kilter. It tells you something's wrong. It tells you that you're not in alignment mind, body, and spirit. And I think that that is a really powerful thing. It's like when you touch a very hot surface what happens yeah, your body's you telling you yeah that, right and so you stop and that's what that's what suffering is you don't learn like you don't when you're happy and successful it's it does not do much for um real growth in your life it actually can contribute to you going the other way you think of how many people who became successful very quickly or how many people win the lottery that don't know what to do with the money sure 
and they have a they have that little jump where they're like ah but then they don't know because they don't have the tools they didn't suffer they they didn't they didn't manifest their suffering into you know suffering has to be the same as um like happiness like ultimate happiness those are two things that you have to put on the thing and and, and balance the them the yeah once you start going like this on either side of them is when you're going to have a balance. So that is what, that's what the practice of mindfulness and meditation are there for. They're not to make you feel better. That's where, like, I can't tell you how many times, and I don't do it anymore. I don't tell people that they should meditate anymore. I did because I was like, oh, I got to preach this. I got to tell you're the world. About it. It yeah, you. yeah, you want to help people. Sure. You want to help people because you've suffered. When, you're, when you hit that dark spot, when you hit that dark night of the soul, you enter that club and it becomes very powerful. Your life changes forever. Who you are, who you were can never exist again. Um, so you have to kind of like find your way and you want to help people because you don't want people to have to suffer like that. But the realization is they have to. You, they have to suffer. They ha you cannot stop that suffering. What you can do is when they're in there, give them the hand. Give, give them the ladder to help them out of the, the, the pit. But that's, where, that's the shift that changed me from three years ago to now is how, how can I help somebody? And it's not preventing them from getting in the pit. I can't do that. I can't. I can't. They're going to fall in the hole because um, they have to. Otherwise, they wouldn't have fallen in the hole. Mm -hmm. Part um, of the process. Yeah. So what I want to do is somebody who's listening to this right now is in that hole. They're in that pit right now. And my voice, my words, my story is the ladder that helps them out of that pit. And, and that's where I understand. That's why I think this is such a powerful medium. Yeah, and I guess a lot of people in this situation take the drugs, you know, aren't doing the, the, the mindful exercises to help themselves. And it basically just covers it up, right? I mean, you can't really yeah. get to the root of it if... Well, it's you're numbing it, you're masking you're it. It, 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 it. The thing is, the, you it never goes away, so it's going to manifest itself in some other form, and that's what that's what drugs and alcohol and all of, when they're taken in that sure. realm. When you're trying to uh, get a, escape, when you're trying to escape, these things are really when when you're trying when when you don't try to escape suffering and just live with it. And that's what I did. I just had to like I can't tell you how unbelievable hard, uh, unbelievably hard it was to, I mean, it, it took me probably a year and a half before I even felt comfortable in my own skin. Wow. A year and a half. That's an, that's an incredible amount of time. There are many people that did not make that through that year mm -hmm. and a half. They mm -hmm. either killed themselves or they did it with drugs, mm -hmm. um, or they just spiraled into the point where they just lost their family or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, it's extremely hard to do, but you have to, that's what meditation did for me. And it, and it becomes a, you have to practice it. You have to, uh, yeah, not practice it, but you have to make it a practice, a daily practice, because it will retrain the neural pathways in your brain and it will make you, ex make you be okay with whatever is, whether it's a pain, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a mood, whatever it is, that's the, that's the only thing that meditation helps. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't cure it. It just makes you okay with the fact that it's there. And that really is the power. That's the key because such as life, 
life is change. Life is constantly changing. It's constantly moving. And that was the thing that I had to um, uh, understand and accept and, and, and just live with the fact that I'm going to die, that people around me that I love are going to die, that I'm going to get old, that I'm going to lose certain things. Uh, I'm, I'm losing my eyesight. I need, you know, reader glasses now. And it took a long time to like, I didn't want to put them on. I mean, that's how stubborn I was. And now I'm like, okay, well, it helps me see I, why, you know, accept, accept the fact that it is there and it's a part of the process. It's part of our evolution. And that's why like yeah. the walks in nature were very powerful too, because you don't see like meditation, it, it comes around the back door. You understand it. Oh, I didn't even know that was happening. Walks in nature. They, the same thing happens. You're walking and you're, the air is better and you're feeling good and it's exercise and it, there's just something about it and the birds are chirping and you see the animals and whatever. But what you're really doing is you're allowing yourself to see life. I mean, that is life. I mean, and 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 in in all it's, respect, it's God. And it's pure. That's form. the creation. I mean, that's the purest yeah. form. Yeah. And you're seeing the decaying tree, and you're seeing the new growth, and you're seeing like sometimes you'll see the dead animal right there. And all of that stuff goes back into the earth and new growth happens. And it's just this. And so that's what's going to happen with you and I. We are just going to keep evolving. Our energy will never stop. But this form will stop. So that brings up another point. Okay, so you, once, you, once you understand that, it doesn't help. It didn't help me. I was like, okay, I understand this. But it doesn't make didn't necessarily make me feel any better until I realized that that this form I'm supposed to have fun. This is a playground. This I'm an avatar right now. I I'm here for a purpose. I'm I'm connected to everything. I'm connected to you. I'm connected to the bookshelf. I'm connected to the air, the birds out there. I'm connected to the people that are in Vietnam right now, probably just waking up. That everything everything I do, think, say not only affects me, but affects everybody that's around me, that I better be very, very cognizant of what I'm thinking, doing and saying, and that I should live the most, you know, live. I, I, I was, I read something where it said, um, you can't, you can only really live if you die first. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, wow, I, I don't understand what that means, but I did it. I died first. I went through that experience. I, I, I met, I met, I met that I met that dark side, and I I came out. I li I really know how, I know how That's to wonderful. live. I, I know that, it, and you know what? I, I also want to state this too because it took a long time. It doesn't mean that my life is Shangri La. That I sit around and skip around, and I've got you know. I still have everything that I had before this. I still have anxiety. I still have sadness. I still have angry anger, joy. You know, all of those things are still there. I just allow them to be now and they they transform into something else because all of life is change and it will constantly keep changing and you know what so if you have a feeling or you have a mood or you have a pain I just sit in silence and breathe and eventually it goes away and what amazes me really uh, again because we are longtime friends um, I did not know the extent of what you were going through at the time. You had, we had talked about it, but I had not known it was at this 
deep, dark level. Uh, but you're living proof of how, if you are determined to do anything in life, including being at the worst point, as you stated, death is at your door, you could do something about it. That's incredible. Y yeah. I mean, so no, I've, nobody knew the depths of what I was going through. I think the only one that really knew was my brother. Well, and of course my wife, but I don't know if she even knew the extent of what it really was. Um, but my brother John seemed to know um, and, and really helped. I mean, a lot of the books he sent me or, um, you know, just the conversations that we had were very, very um, powerful. I mean, one of the things that he really helped me with physically was for six months, you know, that was the thing with the diagnosis of uh, um, whiplash is the doctor said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you don't have any broken bones. The bad news is you have a ton of soft tissue damage, which takes a long time to heal and whiplash. Mm. And whiplash can last for six months to a year. And it's, some people have kind of always had it. And so you, you, you hear that and you're like, oh boy. Um, but then I started re reading about these kind of things and, and what, what pain is and, 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 and basically, and how pain can travel. I mean, Dr. John Sarno was the book I read on called The Divided Mind. Who, he just died. He was uh, a day or two days away from his 94th birthday. Mm -hmm. And a documentary is coming out right now on him. And he really, uh, anybody that is suffering from some sort of pain, mostly back, neck, upper body, but it could be anything. Uh, it's very powerful because these are, it's about repressed emotions and the pain will travel. And so what he, what it's, the, the pain is real, but what happens is, is that your body, uh, the, the brain is an, a very interesting, uh, organ because it's there thinking that it's there to protect you. Um, so it's, it, re, it, it wants you to repress emotions and because you, it doesn't want you to feel it. Oh, you, it, you can't handle this. This is too much for you. So it, it causes you to say, all right, I'm going to give you a pain. And what it does is it deprives oxygen from a certain part of your body, which is what creates the pain and the inflammation. And so what my brother helped me with, he's like, why don't you try going gluten-free? Because gluten is known to be... Uh, really? Yeah, because it, 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 oh, it promotes inflammation. Sure, sure. And I said, I'll try anything. But I, I said to myself, if I'm doing this, I'm doing it. I'm doing it for six months. I'm not doing it for just a week. I have got to really try it. And within four or five days, that incredible. all of that pain went away. All of it. So we've also talked uh, many times about the importance of taking care of ourselves first, um, especially before being able to take care of others. Um, so my question is kind of twofold. You know, what do you think about that? And how does guilt play into it um, you know I know a lot of people feel compelled to please others first whether it's personal or in business or in any situation what are your thoughts there um, well you know I was raised in uh, basically an Irish Catholic family where guilt was part of it you know and and uh, it's guilt is a it's it's a really um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for 
it doesn't do anything for our growth as people. And usually the thing that you feel guilty about um, really is kind of non-existent anyways. Just in yeah, our it's, mind. It's a mental, yeah, it's a mental projection that we do. Um, where it stems from, it could be a lot of different things. But it, it, it really, it's kind of a guilt. Guilt to me is a badge of like low self-esteem. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but that's that that's the way I feel about it. So, you know, for me, when I was younger, that competitive nature in me, I really just was like, I am not going to feel guilty. Um, and at the time, it, that it was a, it kind of was a very naive way of doing it, but it actually helped me overcome my guilt. So, you know, again, it's, you know, when you practice non-judgment, don't judge it. Don't judge the fact that got, why, how you got to where you got. If it wasn't exactly the way you wanted it to be, it doesn't matter because it, it's the journey. It's 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 the many different manifestations. And when you're younger, how, how do you know these things? You only you only know these things because of the experiences you have and the environment sure. that you're in, and, and and the examples that you have in front of you. But when but when you start to get old enough to become to have that awareness, and I think you know they say I, I don't know if it's I think it's around five years old. I think I think I've read where when you turn like five years old is when you start having the ability to start kind of really becoming your own person. And when I look back, I think it was even before that, but um, I think it was that competitive nature in me that wanted to stop this whole guilt thing. And uh, it still creeps back because it just, again, it's an emotion that's always going to be there. So mm -hmm. it's how you deal with it. But uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's a thing that anybody should work on trying to get rid of because it doesn't help you and it doesn't it doesn't and it doesn't help those that are around you because it really you need to you need to take care of yourself first and that really is the most important thing and it's so hard in today's society for people to do that but they really do you got to learn to say no learn to say I, I don't want to do this right now I, I can't do this right now I'm gonna go do this you know and a lot of it should be uh, when I take take care of yourself it, 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 it should be like okay I need to go and meditate for a little while. I need to go for a walk in the woods. You know, it could be like, you know, oh, my job, I can't do this. I'm too busy. Ah, da, 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 da. You know, my kids, I got to take my kids to soccer practice and then we got to do this and we've got travel hockey and, and all of that. And I think that that's, you know, I have to do this for my kids. I want a better life for them. And you know what? The better life for them was you being the example for them and, 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 and showing them that you don't need to do all of this stuff all the time. Yeah, it's good to do it and be there, but you know what? I, I'd like the example of, of, of a parent taking care of themselves, saying, all right, right now I need to meditate right now. And then they come out for 10 minutes and they're a better person than being mad or, or, or impulsive or, you know, angry or, you know, get out of here. I don't want to, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's really one of those things that as a parent, it's tough to do. It's, t it's tough to do that, but, um, you know, I, deep down, it's inside here, so you know. I mean, you know when it hits you here, it's the right thing to do or the right or, or not. To, you know, it doesn't mean total uh, neglect, but there's times where you just have to take care of yourself. And I know that old saying, uh, "Go with your gut," really holds true in most yeah. situations. Yeah, your it gut really will does. tell you. Yeah, it does. It, it it will tell you. And and the way some people, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Well. I, Sit in silence for a while. Watch your breath. Something will come up. Something will come up 
they'll tell you what to do. That's how you do it. I mean, it's really that easy. So let's let's transition this discussion to, um, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and, and read a lot of books, and there's this whole premise that if you ask, you shall receive, whether it's from the Bible or wherever it may be. Um, and I know you've had a lot of success in your own career. So one of the things you told me in the past was I never worry about money, um, which is very interesting because I think most people worry about money. Where are they going to get the next dollar to do the next thing? Uh, so I think that's very interesting. Uh, so can, can you talk a little bit yeah, I, about that? I, I just have to change your wording. Sure. And maybe I've said it wrong in the past to you, but I still worry about money. Okay. I just don't let it affect me. I don't let it affect me and my happiness or my pursuits or any of that because I know if I want something bad enough in my life or if it's purposeful enough, the money will always be there. So it doesn't mean that I don't have a worry about it. I just don't let it, like, I, it's again, like I told you about anger or anything else. Allow it to be there. It's there for a reason. Right. Like, let's not be afraid of our emotions. That's really the key about this. Let uh, Live a life full of emotions. It's really fantastic, you know. We think we have to be, you know, whatever. Just don't let them dictate who you are. Allow them to be there. Watch, be, be aware of what's going on, and then, then react to it. Don't just react because, oh my God, I got to, uh, how am I going to pay this bill? Da, 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 da. I actually do this thing now. I play a game where I just... Um, you know, if I start having that feeling, like, you know, we, we remodeled this house. And I'm telling you, like, you know, you're spending, like, money is just flying out. And then this happens, this happens. And you're, and I'm self-employed. So for me, I don't have a guaranteed income. You sure. know, I have money that I put aside, but we put a lot of money in the house. Anyways, long story short is, is that you just have to, you, like, you just thrust yourself into it. And sometimes you're like, I don't know where, the, I, all right, I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul right here. And then magically... Yeah, just this happens and this happens and you've got it and I think that life I think when you are passionate about something and you love to do something and you're steadfast about it and you've put in your 10,000 hours um, I I think there's very little that you need to worry about in terms of like okay is this going to happen or isn't it's just it, it kind of almost has to happen because you've done the time put in the work are, are loving and you know what if it doesn't happen necessarily uh, how you had envisioned, and most of the time it happens better than you envision, um, the the after effects is like I think it was Les Brown that said, um, uh, "Is it shoot for the moon and you land among the stars?" I mean, it, it, the lesser of it, even the lesser of what you think is going to happen is even still good, you know. Right. You know, it's like uh, even a bad chocolate chip cookie is good. Right, right. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a law of life, right? Some things are inflexible. Uh, if you do things a certain way, they happen. And uh, that leads me to my next point is uh, talking about the law of attraction and how positive thoughts lead to positive things and how negative thoughts typically could lead to negative things. I know you have a lot of experience with that. Um, would love to hear your 
Yeah, I mean, the, 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 um, the issue again, so because I practice uh, every day this mantra about non-judgment is that the words um, positive and negative are really, uh, they're descriptive, but they, they, they're judgment words, right? Sure, they are. They're, they're, they're extremely yeah. judgmental. So if, if, and I've always tell you, it's 100%. It doesn't happen 99% of the time. It's 100% of the time. And so when you buy into that, then you... And it doesn't mean that you can do it 100% of the time. You just strive for that. The concept to have, sure. the concept works 100% of the time, basically, with that, with, with judgment or whatever. So um, if you're going to say that, like, if you have a positive thought, then positive things will happen and negative things, then you're trying to tell me that, like, because like, we just talked about my experience of my suffering. That was negative. That in your term, it'd be negative, right? And, and before I had that experience, it would be it was extremely negative. But it radically changed my way in quote unquote a positive way. So was that suffering negative? I mean, the lines get blurred sure, when no, you start stop when you stop yeah, really think judging about it. and mm -hmm. you just practice non judgment. It, it is now about thoughts of what 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 can I do that will provide my life with the kind of um, uh, stillness, uh, growth, um, you know, success in, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, so, I, you know, for me, this is just me. Like, I, it's very easy to say positive thoughts, positive actions, da 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 da. But I just want to, you know, you're speaking to me right now, and so the very first thing, because I do, I I'm, I have the awareness now. Doesn't mean I always succeed at it, but I have, but I have the awareness. I hear words now because words are very powerful, and it's one of the things that Tony Robbins stresses in his book is that words are extremely powerful and we have to watch our words because remember our thoughts become words our words become actions and our actions become you know deeds so you have to watch your words like i remember when i i, I actually went to um, a psychologist for quite a while when i was going through that period with my mother after she died because i was like all right trying to get the thing and he was really great because he was on the same vein and he you know he didn't practice with Tony Robbins or read Tony Robbins but it you know it's a it's a universal thing and he was like you have to watch your words and I would use these very strong words and he's like you have to watch these words you know um, so again um, I do believe that if you think positively you think in a, in a manner in which is growth and and um, good for you then those things will happen and if you're if you're going to be negative if you you know if you look at a situation and think of all the things that could go wrong there probably some of them are going to happen and right. and 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 you're not going to get through that uh, matter of fact i know even if you think positively the bad things are going to happen the difference is the people that you know keep going is is that they don't let those things to affect them Right, and that's the resistance, right? It's there's, the resistance, there's always yeah. resistance. Because you have to, once you realize that they're always, all of these things not only are going to be there, but they have to be there because we live, life is really, it's a grand dichotomy. It's, we live the, the law of opposites because without them, we didn't, wouldn't know which each one was. So, you know, good and bad, up and down, you, you have to have all, you have to have its opposite. And it's there in unison with, that 
So if you're having, quote unquote, a good time, the bad time is there too. You know, and, and when you're having a bad time, you know, the good time is there too, somewhere. I mean, so um, if you, if you kind of balance these things, which was hard because, you know, you say to yourself, oh my God, when I'm really feeling good or, you know, when you're really having a great time and you just want to, oh, I want to experience that forever. The, the realization is that you can't, mm -hmm. you can't have that particular feeling, but you can have a feeling of peace because life is going to happen. You know, you're going to wake up and, and somebody's going to die or somebody's going to get hurt or you're going to get hurt or, you know, whatever it is, you have to deal with, you have to deal with that. So you kind of have to prepare yourself. And, and it, it's like, you know, part of the meditation process that I was doing is that you had to like, I, I think for, it was a two week process where I had to meditate on my death. So you have to sit there and meditate on, you know, you literally visualize yourself dying and you see yourself like lying there and then, you know, decomposing and all of that kind of thing. And it's really a powerful thing. It's not, not very easy to do if you're not like, I don't suggest that it's the very first thing you do. I, 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 I follow this and I still do this headspace.com which I really love. I, I, I think for anybody who thinks that they can't do meditation, it's a great way to do it. It's a guy, it's an app. It guides you through, you pick 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Headspace. And, yeah. Headspace.com. And, uh, it, it's, it's really great because there's different things that you can pick and it helps you. And, and when you first start, it gets you to the point. So, you know, it, it it's really wonderful. It, it really will help. So what was that? experience like um you know experiencing your own death um well you start to lose some of the fear that's around it because then you start realizing that you're connected to everything in terms of like okay um death is not an end uh it actually is a beginning you know, so it's the law of opposites. You know how I said, you know, so when you're having an experience, you have to remember that the others. So, so in some cultures that I've read that actually death is their beginning, you know, uh, because when you're born, you're born uh, into the like, like I said, you start don't you start really don't start developing into a, to who you are until like you're after five years old. And in the, in the first couple of years, you're, you're like in a hip, hypnotic state. I mean, you're you're like not even really. Um, just absorbing. Yeah, you're not really a like a thinking human being. You're just kind of a, a you're just kind of a, a being. You're kind of being molded, and you're, mm -hmm. you don't have the skill set. Um, so, uh, in in the death process, you're like you're at that you're at that phase where you're you're going to become something new again. You know, and you've you've had that experience. And if you do believe in reincarnation or or whatever it is, then you believe that, wow this life I've just had this experience now and, and I'm going to be able to use not only this experience but all the other experiences into this new experience and, and you know that and karma and all of those things um, uh, are, are impacted so that it it actually for me it, it, it lessens the fear about and you know even if you don't believe in that then you must believe that you're you know, when you start practicing non-judgment and love, then you, um, then it makes it easier for you to have that ability to, to know that when you die, you're, you're actually, you know, morphing into something. I, I really believe that the, that, uh, presence, cause I've actually felt my mother's presence stronger now than I did when she was alive, which is really wild. You know, I have, I, I hate even to kind of say it, but it's true. I actually told my dad and he was kind of blown away by it. 
But I, I, I feel closer to my mother right now. Isn't that something? Than I did when she was alive. And I, I, I and do you have any examples? Um, I, I, I because I, I, I don't have judgment towards her. I don't have, um, I don't have the. Um, the anger towards her about certain things about growing up. Um, she was very strict, you know, she was very religious, which I wasn't. And, um, you know, and, but I knew that all came out of love. All that, basically everything boils down to love. Everybody's doing things out of love, mm-hmm. whether it's misguided or not. Mm-hmm. All things, sure. even murder is based on love. You know, it really is. I mean, you know, when you think about it. So, um, people aren't doing things, um, to you, they're really not. Like they're they're just they're they're doing things um, based on the experiences that they've had to this point, and they're doing the best they can. And really, almost all their decisions are based on love somehow, some way. So what I think as an evolving human um, is to is to start that process. And and the quicker that you realize that, I think the quicker that you evolve and help other people along the way evolve. So I have to challenge or ask you on, on that topic. So, you know, you take a group like ISIS, you, you know, what happened in London recently, uh, what's happening, you know, on a, on a regular basis with terrorism. How, how do you talk about that? Well, they're, they're doing it. The, they're, it's their um, experiences and their, um, it's what they know. You know, so they think they're what they're doing is right. They think that what they're doing is just. And in their mind, they're doing it. I guess. I mean, I, I, for but are they being Allah. brainwashed by a leader that has bad intentions against Westerners? Yeah, but aren't there Westerners that brainwash? Aren't there preachers and 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 uh, priests that do the same thing? And and government officials and and celebrities no, and it's very you know, valid. I mean, it's that, that again, it's very valid. I, this did not like. I, get, I I have conversations with people and they just think who I don't who are you what I don't I just don't buy into that but I, which is fine I don't I, I don't care because I was like them as well um, if but if, if this experience led this journey and now I understand uh, more about my life and more about other people's lives and so for me the 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 idea that I practice this non judgment or I try to practice this non judgment or I try to be aware of non judgment um, and try to to make love the dominant emotion in my life. These are the conclusions that I'm coming to. And they're constantly evolving, which is what I hope they are. But I do see these situations where in which, you know, like you take, like, and I, this is a very polarizing thing, but you take Hitler. I mean, all of these people believed in what he was saying and what he was saying, he thought was right. He thought he was just. He, and all of these people followed him. They did these horrible acts based on the fact that what they thought were doing what they were doing was right and they basically did it out of a, a misguided form of love for that of like we are trying to protect this human race your Aryan race da, 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 da. you know the problem is is so you say this stuff has happened it's happened since the beginning of time it's probably going to continue to happen how is it that we can prevent these things from happening how is it that we can prevent misguided love because it's all love Again, it's the it's the dichotomy. We live in a we live in a dichotomous world. It's just the way it is. It will always be that way. So, when we say, "Oh my God, we want world peace," what really does that mean? 
Will will there ever be world peace? Can there ever be world peace? That that that's a question that I still ask myself now. Um, but what I do know is is that all right, you're asking me how what can we do? How can I give a tool that can help somebody who's who, who's saying, wow, what is this guy saying right now? So how do we know? How do we know what to follow, who to follow, what to follow? Well, first thing is what I said is follow the inside, follow your gut, follow that heart, follow that instinct. That's always there. And, and how do you do that? Okay, well, if you don't have the answer, or you don't know, or if you're being too emotional, stop being emotional, go away, take a deep breath 10 times, sit in silence, and something will come. I promise you. I promise you an answer will come that is more in tune to who you are and what you should be doing. And then in a situation like a global situation like an ISIS or a Hitler or whatever, I mean, there we're so polarized right now with a lot of different factions that you say to yourself, and this is what I say is, are we living in equanimity? Are, we, are these thoughts and are these actions separating us or making us together? It's that simple. It really is that simple. So if you look at all these different situations, so if you look at like ISIS, well, they're separating. They're wanting to kill the majority of the world. They, they want dominance. But that, at the same time, it's, it's putting other countries together to help... There's the dichotomy. Right. Now you understand, Raj. Right. Now you understand what life, what the mechanisms of life are. And so it, it will never end suffering. We can't end suffering. We're not going to end suffering. We can alleviate suffering and we can minimize it, but we, we're never going to end it because it has to be here. So, you know, this is, this is how these bad things can turn into good things. So let me throw out some names that you, um, and then I'd like to get your reaction and what these people mean. Uh, Earl Nightingale, Napoleon Hill, Gandhi, Deepak Chopra, John Rudolph Price, Steve Jobs, Tony Robbins, Mother Teresa, Tim Ferriss, on and on and on. Um, I guess my question is, you know, what are some common traits that, that you see in, in the names that I mentioned, and there's, of course, dozens of others. Um, and as an add-on to that question, do you feel people are at different levels of, say, enlightenment, for lack of a better term, um, becoming uh, a, a, you know, a better person or reaching that higher self? Yeah, well, uh, probably a lot of people who are watching this are not going to know who those people are, which it would, it, it would be in their best interest to just, you know, you can Google these people and sure. find quick, quick uh, synopsis of, of them. Uh, the one thing that they all have in common is that they all practice, or they're all part of like what I consider, and even though they're all in different times, like a new thought movement. Um, they are thinking, these are people that think outside the box and the most people that are in line to who they are in, inside. Um, I think each one of those you name and you, you went through them quick. And so, you know, um, are people that have understand that they, uh, are, they are the co like something came to me. I want like after one of our talks or a walk, cause I was like, we were the creator of our lives and, and, and that actually is. Um, a little bit misguided. We are the co-creators of our lives. We can't be completely the creators of our lives. 
um, we have to be the co-creators of our lives because we also have, we can definitely influence our mind, body, and, and soul, and you know our thoughts become actions and, and, and all of that. But we also have to deal with the force that's around us, whether it's your thought or your actions or your whatever. And, and so we're all constantly co-creating. Um, but and are you saying the way we live our lives? The yeah. co-creators of, of the way we of live our lives. Of we lives. are co-creators okay. of our lives. Okay. We have we have uh, the ability to shape our lives um, based on whatever it is that we uh, do, think, and say, and feel. Yeah, and I, what's amazing about that is that um, you could start today. You could start the second this this moment. This moment. And then the journey begins. And and I know for me, and again, we've talked a lot about this over the years, but once you start this process, there's no going back, but there's a deep feeling that you don't want to go back. Yeah. No, it, 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 there's, a, there's that interaction where you're like, you're, you, you feel lost. Sure. There's a loss. Sure. You know, and that's, again, that's where I had to come grips with, with this, with the feeling of loss of change, you know? Um, uh, one of the books I read was by Neil Donald Walsh and it was called When Everything Changes, Change Everything. And that was, for me, that was like every time I read a book or whatever, they came at the right time, you know. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And when the teacher is ready, the student will appear. And it's, that's, again, it's like the law of attraction. It's, it will always be there. It's like when we were talking about money. You just don't work. Like, don't let the worry inhabit your life. Let it to be here, be awareness, and just move on. Keep moving through it. Just keep going, going, going. Move, Fight move through that through resistance. It. Fight through the resistance, right. and then the, the prize is at the end. And, and so, you know, that really is, that really is the key. So, uh, there's, there's a couple more things. I know we've, we've gone on a lot, so I appreciate all your time. Um, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what it means. Again, cliche, a lot of people say it, but live in the moment, live in the present moment, live in the present. Um, instead of dwelling on things that have happened in the past or what is apt to ha happen in the future. So what's your experience with that? Well, the moment is all there is, which is a very hard concept to get. And it took me a long time to, to, to understand that. And, and uh, I, let, uh, I read a lot of Eckhart Tolle um, in The Power of Now, and he has The New Earth. And um, I have to tell you, his books I had to read, put down. And actually, he suggests doing that. He suggests reading just a little bit. Because it's so It's deep. just so intense. Sure. And if you're not, I mean, first of all, he's like, there are two people that pick up my books uh, and and he's like those that pick it up and continue reading, and those that that put it down because they're not ready. So you asked like in the last question you asked about are we're on different levels of enlightenment, and um, enlightenment is a form of like either you're enlightened or you're not, either you're awake or you're not, and it can come in all different kind of aspects of your life. But um, I, I do believe that when you really understand and grasp that the present moment is all there is, you know. So basically, that's live this moment fully. Be completely present. Like we live in a world where we're trying to multitask and we're doing all these things and we're thinking about the future. And then, you know, um, if you ruminate about the past, that's not good either. I mean, it's okay to have the past and it's okay to think about the future. 
Um, but the majority of your time should be, le- be lived in this moment. And, you know, we're trying to constantly escape the present moment for certain things. So we're thinking about the next thing. Like, um, you could be thinking right now while you're in this interview, God, I would really like a drink right now, or I'm kind of hungry right now. And so that stopped you from being in the present moment. I mean, it's good that you acknowledge that you had that feeling, but okay, don't let that win. Don't let that, you know, transfix you so that you're Stay not... Focused. Yeah, and I'm not saying that you're doing that, sure. but I'm just saying there is an example of how that constantly sure. happens. And again, that is a, a practice and... It comes with just continually being aware. I do it every day. I try to become, like I I did it, again, these are things that happened out of my suffering that have now become pillars of my life. And I'm so thankful for them. But there are the tools that I really needed to kind of, what I thought, survive and get through this that I did. So one of the things that I did to practice this present moment, because it's frustrating, because you cannot try to be present. The moment you try to be present, you're not being present. And it's really just this this weird thing. So the thing that I would do is I'd go into the bathroom, and any time I went into the bathroom, I'd be present in whatever I was doing, brushing my teeth. I would feel myself brush each and every tooth. I would I would you know, and I'd actually think about what was happening, and I'd actually become the bristle on my tooth. Huh. So like you instead can, of just going through the motions, yeah, of it. and, and th- right. like how many times you get in there and brush your teeth, you don't even know you're brushing your teeth. You're thinking about what you have to do next. Sure. Or when I'm in the shower, I feel the water hit every aspect of my body. I feel myself lathering and scrubbing my hair and feeling what it does to my scalp. You know, um, those are the moments like, because how many times during a day are you going into the bathroom, you're washing your hands, just feel yourself, you know, really washing That's your hands. That's being present. That's being present. Eating. You know, one of the things, if you really wanted to try to help to lose weight or whatever, is being present with your meals. You'll find yourself, you'll be eating less and you'll be enjoying them more. So instead of like reading the paper or reading the book or watching TV um, with a meal, just sit there and be present and just, you know, eat it, really taste it, feel yourself chewing, put the fork down, feel it digest, and then do it again. Interesting. Now, that isn't easy like to do all the time, but I try to do it at least once a day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the things in the morning when I have coffee, it's like this ritual um, I just sit there and before I have a drink of coffee, I just sit there and I take a couple of breaths and I just feel my body and I, it's just what I do. I don't know. And I don't suggest you, you could do whatever you want, but these are the things that I, that I do every day. So they become practice. So the more that you do that throughout the day, the more that you are actually being in the moment. And it's extremely hard and only like few people can like do it for their entire lives or I don't even know if they can, but um, it becomes, you become more aware of that present moment. And then you start getting into this whole thing that like, you know, if the present, like if the present moment is all we have, what is real? Is the, you know, is the past really real? Is the future, you know, what, what is, if like, and 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 Einstein's everything's happening. Time is this like con- pre this conceived thing that our brain has done that it's not really kind of this real thing that like time doesn't exist out in like you know space. So um, you know that basically everything is happening at once. Everything in the past, present, and future is all happening at the same time. It's hard. For our minds to grasp that. I mean, and that is actually purposeful. Our minds aren't supposed to. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this form. I personally think that we evolve into these 
higher beings that that we start to understand these different things and you and along you can't just you know get to this evolved state and this 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 highly evolved being right off the bat you have to you have to go through all of this this is like this is this is a playground this is the this is the 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 you know the the method in which you advance and you evolve that's that's my thought and i and are you talking about reincarnation yeah, I mean the word reincarnation again is like the word God. It 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 it, it makes all these judgmental things happen mm-hmm. in people's minds, and it shouldn't, but it does. Um, but I'm curious that you know when you talk about this, you know what exactly? What do you believe? Yeah, I, I believe that I believe that there's some sort of evolution, and I don't. I mean, I I can't put my mind on. I just know. I like again. How do I know? Because I sit in silence and I feel it, and I'm like, okay, I right. I, I, I can I can. I can grasp it a little bit about how it works, you know, and, and this thing about, so if, if the infinite energy that created all of this is aware of all of this and is all of this and practices, and I believe non-judgment and love, then that's what we are because we're, we are a part of that energy. So we are that energy. And so that when you think about death and then life after death then i think you have to think about it in terms of non-judgment and love and so what does that mean um and so i actually think that if we also create our from our thoughts words and our actions then is it possible that what everybody thinks is real that all all scenarios are possible that if somebody believes in a heaven and a hell, then there is a heaven and a hell. If somebody believes that there is nothing after, then is there a period where there is nothing after? But uh, see, I never bought, like, I don't know truly what an atheist is because there, it is proven that energy does never, it never dies. It transforms into something else. So if an atheist believes that there is no God, then maybe they still believe that there is this, because your energy has to transfer into something else. So um, there is something basically called everlasting life. I, I mean, it may not be life in this particular know, form, right. but, it, but it could be. I mean, yeah. it, it could be. I, I believe that in some ways you keep coming back you keep getting to you to evolve to a certain spot that's why i like karma and um they're very interesting things because you they you can't get rid of like so like i've people say well oh when people commit suicide then they're they're uh you know whatever I, but they they've basically just stopped their life process in this form and I believe they, they just have to pick up somehow, some way until they get it right, until mm-hmm. they get, you know, whatever it is that's, that has bothered them. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Brian Rose at London Real. Um, I've been watching his podcast. I believe you, you turned me on to him uh, a couple of years ago. And here we are. Um, this is the first show. This is really uh, important to me and to you. Uh, I thank you, you know, for all of your help and guidance through this process. Um, but you know, we're serious about this. We want to take this to the next level, and um, you know, uh, I'm hoping that this is the first of many, many episodes, and uh, we'll have you back often <laughs> because I think you're going to be requested. Um, 
So uh, the last thing I just wanted to ask you, um, and I don't know if you've thought about this or maybe you thought about it in the past, but what do you want your legacy to be in this life when you leave this earth? You're an artist as a profession. Um, I know you're very involved with your, your, your granddaughter and, and your children's lives and your wife. What, what do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. Um, well, I have to say that, that it changed from what uh, probably the first 40 years of my life. And I wanted to, to, to be this great artist and, and you, know, um, you know, the paintings are a legacy, which is really great. That's, wonder, that's a wonderful thing being, about being an artist, whether you're um, a, a, a fine arts painter or, or a musician um, or an actor, is that your, your, uh, your work lives well past you. And I'm so fortunate that I've been in museum shows all over the world and I've been in books. And, and so that legacy is, has been achieved um, but now uh, it's really about for me and I know this sounds kind of um, pie in the sky but it's really about trying to, to uh, help humanity evolve and, and, and doing it in my own individual way see that was that's the thing where I didn't realize maybe three years ago how to do that but now it's just, just being who I am and just allowing things to happen kind of uh, as they're supposed to. And when an opportunity comes, you act. Stop the resistance, stop the fear, and go right through it. Like an idea of a podcast is something that is like, wow, it takes a lot of time and energy. And, uh, you know, it couldn't be done without somebody like you because this is truly your passion. I'm an idea guy. Uh, I'm not so good a follow-up guy other than my artwork. For whatever reason, that was my 10,000 hours. That was my unique genius. Sure. And that's what I really did it. So for me, my legacy will be um, really, I guess, in a way, it's for my daughters and my granddaughters and then their uh, uh, family after that to have uh, a place in which it's, you know, hopefully we're still here. Um, but but um, um, a compassionate way of living in a extremely technological way so that would be the legacy that I would hope would happen is uh, through whatever I do from now until the time that I uh, leave this world that's what I people say oh he, he definitely made a difference that's awesome and I'd just like to say um, what a wonderful spread you have in this book uh, by Louis Mizell uh, your, your art dealer uh, on photorealism um, really didn't talk about it much in the beginning, uh, and we we got a, I got a little off track there. But um, your detail is incredible. I'm I'm continue to be amazed. You, I I believe your work is getting better as you get older, and I can't wait to see you know what you have uh, coming in the future. The last thing, just take one minute and um, uh, why are you doing paintings over? A second time with the same scene. I've never heard of this. I think it's a great idea. You showed me one side by side. I think there was what twenty years in between when you mm -hmm. when you painted that scene, and some things have changed, you know, uh, around that railroad uh, scene. But why why are you doing that? Um, well, it, it stemmed from uh, this whole journey that I was on 
and the healing process and the meditation and the idea of kind of disavowing my, I, I kind of like turned my life upside down where in which I just was like, okay, I've got to see who I am. Who, who am I? And, and why am I here? Am I just an artist? Am I, you know, am I, am I this? Do I, am I identifying too strongly with this? And so when you do that, it's a really difficult process. And so when I started kind of basically, you know, you shake all the stuff and then you kind of have to put it back together. And so when that process of like, when I was really starting to put it back together and I started becoming whole again about the art, uh, the idea of traveling around the world at that particular time and, and trying to find scenes and, and, and kind of like, that was what I was doing. I, I was kind of like, in the beginning it was Binghamton and I wanted the world to connect because Binghamton is them. You know, a lot of people grew up in small towns, small cities. A lot of people connect with that. That's basically, these are the towns that built America, mm -hmm. um, you know. And so that was, and it was my nostalgia for a dying downtown. Uh, I remember going on a bus with my mother and my grandmother and went downtown with Thriving and you had mom and pop stores and, and eating at the Woolworths counter and all of that. And so for me, I think the legacy in the beginning was, was uh, trying to document that. And then when I started traveling the world, it was so new to me because I had never traveled outside of Binghamton and to travel the world and then to go with my art and to museums and then to get subject matter. And then it, I, I kind of was like a modern day explorer and I was a very naive modern day explorer, but that's okay. Uh, that's how I, you know, uh, express myself through my work. I didn't, I didn't have that feeling. I didn't like all, I, I had already done that. I'd already done that. What do I do next? What, what was in my heart. And so for the longest time I didn't realize, and I thought, is this it? And if it was it, I was going to be okay with it. And I'll never forget. I was meditating, uh, through a yoga class down the street with Edmund, which hope will be in our podcast, uh, venture here. Um, and I came up with this idea of the fact about change because the change is always happening. And so I, I want to, I had the idea of like I 20 scenes, that I've already done to go back and revisit. Cause not only has that scene inevitably changed, but I changed technology's changed the kind of camera I use the kind of, you know, whatever the cam, everything has changed and wouldn't it be great. And it may not even ha be happen until after I'm gone to, to accumulate this much and then get the paintings back, but to have an exhibition and show that change through the work side by side, side by side. Um, so, it's a lifelong quest. We'll see where it goes. And I'm not forcing anything. Uh, already I have two. I have two images that, and two scenes that I've done. And I am kind of have ideas for others. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where it goes. So you're going back to the same general area and taking a photo of, of that scene. And obviously, there's going to be new things, right? Uh, yeah, things may have changed, and then you're you're. Yeah, and I scene. made you know again right now. I'm, I like uh, I like to do photography for these scenes at dusk. I like the light. I like what's happening. Um, so that's kind of way. So it could be a change in the different time of day, as well as the, the location changing. It, it, you know, it will evolve. Sure. It'll when I'm there. I'll see. I'll 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 see what I what needs to be done or how I feel about it. Well, I think it's incredible. We'll, we'll definitely post some of those images side by side on 
on the website great, great. and on this video so people could take a look. And look, you'll be back again, uh, hopefully <laughs> soon. I know you'll be heading out uh, for a couple of months, but check back in for sure, and, and we'll do it again. I, next time, I want to hear the story of how all this began with your art and connecting with Louis Meisel because I think that's a fascinating story yes. at, at such a young age. Well, that's great. Good, great teaser. <laughs> Tony, thanks so much. Appreciate it, and um, good luck, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Ross. And now I bring you part two, A Nature Hike with Anthony Brunelli. So what is it about the outdoors? Oh, this, this is great. This, this will settle your metabolism down anytime. It's natural. The birds, the smell. How long have you been taking walks, hikes? Well, I've been taking hikes since I was a little boy when my grandfather used to take me into the woods. And then there was a long period where I didn't do any of that, you know, get involved in your career, family. So, actually the walk started because of my brother John. After my mother died, he was taking these hikes up here in the nature preserve. That's everything. You know, I just built the studio down in Florida that's in the backyard. And, uh, you know, it sits, sits in between two royal palms with some great, uh, like, banyan palm uh, vegetation behind it. And so, you know, that's another, any kind of nature, whether it's a walk in the woods or an Ever the Everglades. We have the Everglades really close to us there. You know, anything that was here before us as human beings is what I find to be uh, a great place to kind of just go walk, sit, experience. So, But this nature preserve is a little gem here in Binghamton because you get a little bit of everything on this, this these trails. You know, we're, we're like right now we're at these we're at the peak going up through the woods and now we're getting to the plateau it's magical so all of the it's like the reward for the the big trek up and as you can see i'm breathing a little bit heavier now but now is the you know now is the, the beauty of it and you kind of just you're sitting here on this plateau almost everybody just wants to stop when they get to this and then you go down a little bit and then it's the trek down Great in all seasons, you know. The spring, summer, winter, and fall. Done it all. Different times of day. I haven't done the night yet. Actually, Tice, Tice Lerner wants to take me up here in the night. So, he said it's a completely different experience then. Different animals, different sounds.
So you've worked with a number of artists over the years. Were you mentioning Jackie? Yeah. Well, she's an artist, but also a patron. And uh, she's uh, she's probably the greatest because she loves art so much. I mean, it really is. For her, art is like food or water. She needs it to live. And uh, she has this beautiful gallery in her house that she just enjoys. I'm sure I could just picture her sitting there for hours just looking at her artwork. And what is it therapeutic for people? Well, I think art is different for everybody, you know. I mean, it, it runs the gamut from her to people who buy stuff purely for investment, never really look at it, store it, and then sell it. Um, you know, I obviously am not a fan of that, but what are you going to do? But, uh, you know, I think uh, the people who've really bought my work, you know, I think it's kind of like the law of attraction. They're, they buy it because they enjoy it and they want to live with it, so that's that's really positive. I mean, we John has been dealing working with a local guy who lives most of the year in Nashville because he has where his company is, but he bought his old family home. Right, parents' home. And the entire he remodeled it, and the entire house is prints of my work everywhere. And then now here we have the you know the success of of, of my own uh, career. Uh, was able to fund buying this building downtown and helping in the revitalization of the downtown area. So it's almost like uh, life imitating art, art imitating life. Mm -hmm. And then now we have this world-renowned gallery in Binghamton, New York, and everybody's like, it doesn't matter. So it's it's like is, you know, it's almost like uh, Binghamton's the center of the world for us. You know, just like uh, Steve Jobs, it was probably what California or whatever. You know. Uh, but but it, but what what boils down is that it's all about the passion, and sticking to it, and just doing what you love and loving what you do. I mean, it really is. It's like I I bet if you asked him right now, he he'd say I I don't remember the last time I worked. You know, I mean that's what I kind of try to told him. I'm like, you know, really the freedom in life is not about how much money you make, it's about the quality of your life. And there were times, many years, where he was running the gallery where he had very little money, just scraping by every month, just paying the bills, whatever. But I looked at him and I said, would you have it any other way? And he said, absolutely not, because I wake up every day and live how I want to live. I don't punch a time clock, I don't have a boss, I, I'm able to deal with these artists and these clients, and the money might not be in, coming in right now, but it's, it's the way I want to live my life. And you know, now it is for him, and now it is, and, and again, it's, you know, you don't change uh, the, what you do or how you've done it just because of that. And, um, you know, money will always follow passion. It just will. You mentioned that book, uh, Man's Search for Meeting, in, in the podcast. And I went back yesterday when we were up by the lake going around. I just read half of it again. He often refers to that book by Carol Dweck called it's on mindset, a growth mindset versus a scarcity mindset. She's like one of the leading researchers. And he said that's a seminal book in his bookshelf that he goes back to from time to time. Yeah, you know, and all of these things, everybody has to find their own path. So, you know, it has their own book or has whatever, sure. or has their own, you know, maybe they don't need the bet on how to become successful in business. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a, you know, a life challenge, or maybe it's just, uh, yeah, you know, finding what... inner peace with whatever. Um, and, and again, that's, that's really, the, that's the beauty of it, is that we are here 
to seek it out ourselves mm -hmm. and only we can do that you know it's just like when you like I, I actually saw the interview with dr drew which i think is really great i learned a lot about dr drew that yeah. i didn't know about yeah you know and 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 here is dr drew a, a doctor um but he really has some some spiritual tendencies to the way he is practicing and you know these are things that he said my life is constantly evolving he said mm -hmm. so what i'm telling you right now could completely change in 15 minutes because i can't believe how quickly that you know and and a lot of the stuff that i'm doing to help these these drug addicts are uh things that i wouldn't have wouldn't have tried right. 10 or 15 years ago right and so um you know i i, I think that that's really the key i think we're at a i think i think humans are at a, a huge turning point in evolution right now yeah and uh i think that um the reason there's so much strife and angst and whatever from addictions to suicides to just depression you know also just this like this constant fighting we are with each other is i just think it's the the times are changing and people don't there's a lot of people who aren't like in tune to it um and even if you are in tune to it it's still difficult you know right. and and i think that that's really um it's really a powerful thing to just know that it's okay that it's all just part of the evolutionary process and you know if you don't like something, then in, you do have to do something inside yourself to change, change it. They say, be the change. Be the be change. change. It's very simple. You don't have to change your, your like, yeah, I don't have to change uh, my wife, my father, my kids, my grand, whatever. I, I, I'm not, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to change myself. And through that, and through my example, is, is what really, that's how it happened. Have you seen changes in others based on your changing your oh, growth yeah. oh of course but then again i can also say there's people that that i thought i could change and they don't <laughs> well is and that the problem we can't we don't we shouldn't want to change people right, right? well it's it's hard to uh for me that's my that's my cross to bear um that's that's where i have to really um you know watch and be observant of myself and my actions because I got to remember that, and, and you know, it, it sometimes it's sometimes it gets difficult because you know you, you know you know you you know that you could have something that could help alleviate some sort of suffering for a particular person, but then you also know that it has to ha come through them, and then all you have to do is kind of be the light. All you have to do is be that example, be the light, and um, you know, in the end, that actually is the thing that frees you up and creates less stress so um being the light being the light it's very it's very simple you don't have to change anybody and, so, and sometimes ultimate like big suffering has to happen you know it's what changes us it's what you know it's that crack and the light can't get in if there's not a crack so and it's not easy to watch a loved one suffer but that's you know that's what you have to do sometimes are there certain things you say to yourself every day when you wake up oh just yeah just to remind yeah no i mean i have my mantra my mantra and I, I i think it's a practice i think i think that everyone should get into some sort of and i you know spiritual practice uh, nature practice call it what you will but you know it's like anything else we spend all this time education going for our occupations and a lot of people who are really into fitness they're working out you know three five times a week you got to do the same thing with life, you know, and 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 because it, if you don't, it, 
it, it creeps up on you and, and you know we all have that dark side that shadow side it's it has to be there and you know the i think the whole purpose of life is to 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 live in balance with it and and to, to not let the dark side win or not not to give that too much energy and that's what happens that's why you see the the terrible things that happen in the world is that people have just allowed the dark side to have more of an edge than than the light but the practices that i have when i wake up every day it's two things i say to myself practice non-judgment that means non-judgment of everything uh non-judgment of people a feeling a thought just just let them be uh and observe and the other thing is try to make love the dominant emotion in my life the dominant emotion yeah the dominant emotion on my life and so you know again <laughs> those aren't necessarily easy things sometimes you know you, you, you don't like what your spouse is doing or your whatever a friend or um, but you just kind of have to like I have something that I say to myself especially in a conversation with somebody if I feel it coming it's like what would love say right now or what would love do how would love react and that really kind of diffuses the situation it's like there was an example when when I was going through a pretty rough time about three and a half years ago, and you know, it just seemed like I was um, um, kind of constantly at edge and had so much anxiety, and uh, of course, it was manifesting itself in my relationship with with Emily. And uh, I just got to a point where I was I was watching myself get angry at things that I was like, "What am I getting angry for?" And for the longest time, I couldn't stop myself. And it was a learned behavior because it's what I saw when I was growing up through my childhood with my family. And I didn't like it. And so finally, uh, I think it was a Tony Robbins book, and he was talking about that purpose thing, that, that, that thing. And, and so I started, when I started an argument with Emily, I would just say, right now, I'm really mad at you. I don't want to be mad at you. And my voice would be raised. And, and I said, so, so just a mere act of, of one having the awareness but two speaking it to her not just saying you know why the hell did you do that i'm like i don't know why i'm mad right now and i'm so mad that you did that i don't know why i'm mad that it almost immediately diffused the situation and i can't tell you that many a time the argument turned into like a laughing session or a whatever and it was really great for me because one i took control of it of that thought and that action and i was able to at least not you know sometimes it would come out but then I was able to temper it. But then now she now has a roadmap. She knows what's going on. She's not like saying to herself, why is this guy mad at me? For this little thing. It's about that communication, right? It's about the communication. And that's the way that I had to personally do it. So, I mean, I recommend anybody trying that because it's really great. You know, your feelings are your feelings and you really should own them. I mean, I think, I think most people have problems because they don't, they're afraid of these feelings. You know, anger is a feeling that you have. Own it. You're angry for a reason. Be angry. Just do it with love. You know what I'm saying? So that's really the difference. So instead of coming home and like, like just bitching and moaning, and I'm telling you, a certain it, a something could happen that I'd be in such a good mood. I'd come home and say she would have something misplaced, and all of a sudden the good mood turned from zero to sixty into a bad mood. And you know the old me would have just like I would have sulked, and it maybe have been a you know whatever. I would I would have not talked to her for a day, and I was like, that's crazy. But I started observing that, and I started observing the fact that that wasn't right. It wasn't. It wasn't feeding me or her. So that's when I'm like, all right, what can I do? How, I can't stop being angry. So I was like, all right, I'm going to verbalize that I'm angry. I am literally going to tell her that I'm angry and why I'm angry. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it was so unbelievable. 
and, how and, that happened. And you hear people talk about the growth within yourself that sounds like you growing within yourself. Yeah, you and you know, and the the real strides came to the fact when I just gave into it. When like I really feel like anybody that has any kind of a, an issue, whether it's drug addiction, sex addiction, uh, anger, whatever it is, the real problem lies in the fact that you want to get rid of it. And you know what? You can't get rid of it. You're never going to get rid of it. it you know what? Even if it's if if you're not acting uh, it out, it's always going to be there. So better feel it, express it. And get you know get it out there. Then then I think the problems comes when we just kind of keep these things inside and think that we're bad people and we're not bad people. We just have to change our behavior. And uh, communication is the key with everything, whether it's a relationship with a spouse or a child or a friend or a, or politicians. I mean you know it's it's all the same thing. It's all just about communicating. And it's okay to be mad and it's okay to be upset. Just like it's okay to be happy and joyful and whatever. You know, just do every single one of those things with love as the dominant emotion. And I think that the world would be a better place. And more importantly, your own inner life would be a better place. And that really is the key. I, 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 I no longer, one, I had to become, I had to awaken to the fact that this is who I was. Because I was asleep. I didn't realize who I was. I didn't realize that I had that anger. I didn't realize that I was doing those things. And that's most of the world, most of the people. And again, it's not something that I'm saying that people are terrible. We're just asleep to it. We have got to awaken to the fact that this is what we do. And, and there's a reason for it. And you have to own these emotions. You have to. The only way you're going to get through it and make it any kind of uh, better, you know, like an inner peace, is the fact that you've got to own those. They are there. They're always going to be there. And you know what? They're purposeful. Um, so that's kind of what I do every day and it's every day and you know what when, when, when you slip a little bit is when things start to fall by the wayside and you got to get back on the get back on the bike again a lot of the, the books, readings and case studies I do are kind of aimed at people who have low self esteem <laughs> and you know uh, matter of fact I've bordered on probably uh, overconfidence um, but uh, the real key here is you, everyone has to learn how to take care of themselves, you know, and, and, and we live in a world where people are so afraid to do that. And so my advice to anybody is then if, if you're feeling that or if you feel your life is too busy, then you need to change that. And only you can change that. So it's be the change who you are while you change your lifestyle. Then you'll say, oh, well, I've got the kids and I've got the job and I've got this. And I'm like, okay, so look at what's really important. Kids probably are really important they're the first thing but you know what maybe you're over parenting maybe you don't need to be on the PTA maybe you need to pull back uh, a job is it fulfilling you is this job fulfilling you is it overworking or you're stressed out maybe you need to change uh, the way the job is done maybe you need to change the job um, so for me uh, it's really there are no excuses there are no excuses I don't care if you're busy I don't care if you're who you are you have to find the time to, for yourself every single day. Every but, single day. But society has gotten us to a point. I mean, if you think about the average person who lives in, say, New York City and has to commute an hour or two on the train each way, you know, put in a hard day's work, come home, you know, our parents have to cook, help the kids with homework. I mean, average person has a very hectic lifestyle. Got to change that. They can't use that as an excuse. 
because that's why we are in the dilemma that we are in with the world. And and good. I I don't want I don't want this to sound like it's a bad. I think it's a great place. I think we're as human beings, I think we're li living in the most easiest times we've ever had in our lives, with technology and with you know all of these things. Uh, our life has gotten better as human beings. You know, we we have the we we have to remember that. Um, the key the key is is that. Um, you cannot use an excuse like life. I'm too busy right now because you know what? You may die and then what do you do, right? So you have to take care of yourself. And you know what? Taking care of yourself is only going to make a better life for you and for everybody else around. You got to take the chance. You got to be willing to do it. I mean, you know, when I, when I went through that tough period where I had the anxiety and, you know, that the hockey injury and the death of my mother and all of that. I, I literally felt like somebody else inhabited me and I couldn't get them out. And it was a really scary time. But I said to myself, I am going to make getting better my job, my occupation. So if I told Emily at the time, I said, if we go broke, we go broke. Because every day I woke up and I did whatever I had to do to help myself with the anxiety or whatever it is whether that was meditating reading yoga talking to friends going for walks running I did it I mean I for, it took probably a solid year and a half before I could felt like I, I I was back in control again of 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 myself um, but you took care of you but I took care of me and you know what happened throughout that year and a half the, the world went on Magically, this happened. He started selling work. Uh, I, I I wasn't completely stopping painting, but things happen. I think I think that the I think the universe will reward you for taking care of yourself. I really do. I just think it's the natural thing. I think we're just so afraid of it. We we don't we we the majority of people think they live in a hostile world, and we don't live in a hostile world. We we live in a very endearing, loving world. That that we have to remember that that we have to remember that. Oh wow, we. It's okay to take care of myself. It's okay to go on a walk. It's okay. You know what? So wake up a half an hour early to meditate. Whatever it is. There's no excuses. You know? Or go to bed a half hour, an hour earlier because you may need to sleep. Just do it. Just do it. I, 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 think, I think your life depends on it. You and everybody else. I really do. And I think, that, I think that... But I really see a huge shift in people. I can't tell you how many friends I know who've just quit their jobs. John's got the same thing and then just said they couldn't take it anymore. And now their life is thriving. And it doesn't necessarily mean always money all the time, but their life is thriving. They're doing what they want. They're living their life. You know, I think really most people, most of us should simplify our lives. You know, what we really need is inside us and we keep looking on the outside of us. We think these material things or this relationship or, or this thing or this alcohol or this drug is going to help us. And, and, and actually we're going the opposite direction. When everything that we need is inside of us already. And it's and the only way that you're gonna tap in that and the only way you're gonna get that is to get quiet. Like walking in nature or you know, whatever it is. I you know what? I've decided that like I used to tell people, Oh, you need to meditate, you need to do this. Well, you need to do whatever it is that you need to do that can get you in that quiet space. There are so many different things that you can do. Just go find it. Just go do it. I, I you know, I don't know what like I don't have your life I don't know how you grew up I don't know how you experience things so there may be things that you go you maybe a lake uh, maybe you, it's not meditation maybe it's just a nice workout um, maybe it's just a walk um, whatever it is you know people are afraid of the word meditation because they think they're trying to stop their thoughts and that's not what meditation is it's not stopping thoughts thoughts will never stop you know when thoughts stop when you're dead that's when thoughts stop so uh, 
you don't want to die. So meditation is just sitting there and observing, observing thoughts, emotions, feelings, whatever, just seeing them come and go and realizing that they're all transitory. They're all just changing. It's all whatever. It's the most amazing thing. And then you get to a certain point where you're like, oh yeah. So when you are in the tough point where you're feeling whatever it is, angst or anger or whatever, just know that I also have this little saying, this too shall pass. So you don't like, you know, you don't sit there and just like ruminate on it. Just ah, acknowledge it. Oh, that, that feeling's coming up again. That thought's coming up again. Okay. There you are. I see you. I, I found the best thing for me then and it is now is when I'm having something that I'm ruminating on, whether it's a thought or a pain or whatever, I literally change my, my physical body. That could be getting up, going, doing something, going down and doing push-ups, doing some yoga, even if it's just for five minutes, stretching, breathing, you know, all of those things, they can immediately change. It's like next thing you know, you're like, oh man, well, I was thinking about that. And you know what? It could keep coming back. So keep doing those things. And eventually it's kind of like retraining like the neural pathways in your brain that they're not going to be the one, you know, that thought is not going to be the one that's going to dictate your life. Because that thought is just a thought. I mean, really, what is it? It's nothing. It's really just, it's part of, it's part of the air. It's imaginary. It's imaginary, you know, and it's something that we created. And, uh, you know, when you realize that that's what it is, have fun with it, you know, because this is what life is. It's about, it's about having fun and, and enjoying and taking, taking life as, as it is, whatever it is. It's the playground. Like, this is the playground. You're going to have the bully. You're never going to get rid of the bully. Learn how to learn how to learn how to play with the bully. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the key. I mean, you're never going to get rid of that childhood bully. You're just not. It's always going to be there. So the sooner that you stop trying to get rid of that childhood bully, uh, the the more inner peace you're going to have. And actually, you will actually change the situation. Uh, most people will change just by your vibration, your changing pattern. Uh, some, you know, I, I have this thing where if I'm, especially because people like to talk politics right now, and that's just for me, I don't want to do it. So I have this thing where if people are saying things I don't necessarily agree with or like, I find the need that I don't need to speak. But if it's getting too intense, I just excuse myself, go to the bathroom or, or whatever. You know, and then I, or I try to change the subject, make it something, you know, positive or enlightening or whatever. Um, and and that's kind of that's kind of tool that I use because. Um, you have to just you have to choose and pick your battles. You know, your energy is really more important than anything else. What did it, what is it that I I want to achieve here? That's really that's really something that everybody should ask themselves. You know what's really great is if you can start getting more in harmony with that, and you know live the majority of your life with that feeling. Know that okay. Uh, you know what? I shouldn't have had that one more drink. I knew I shouldn't have had that drink, or I knew I should have turned here. You know, I knew I should have waited. <laughs> but again, the key is not beating yourself up, just saying, at that moment, I'm going to make the change. Every, every second of every day is an opportunity for you to change. That's the wonderful thing. It doesn't matter what you did in your past, because the past is gone. All that really matters is that present moment, is the fact that right now is all there is. You know, when I first grasped the concept of that, it's really, for, for, for a while there, it's like really freaky. You're like, whoa. Because if I said to you, what is the past, Roger? How could you determine that? How do you know that it's real? How do you know it's real? And the future, the future hasn't happened yet. So all there ever is, ever, is that present moment. And um, 
you know, they say when you really start living in the present moment, time just becomes kind of a non-issue, you know, the, the clock time. And I've had that happen, you know. I, I do these things where I really try, and, and you know what, I actually think it's okay to uh, test the universe. Some people are afraid of that, but I, I, I actually think it's a really good thing. And what do you mean by that? Well, say, okay, you know how you, like, sometimes you're in a situation where I know your path too, that you, you know, you, you try something and you read something and you're like, alright, I really buy that. And then, uh, then something in life happens where you really have to, this is, I mean, you gotta, it's all, you know, now you gotta walk the walk. And you say to yourself, oh man, can I do it in this situation? And like I've always told you, it's got to be 100%. If it's not 100%, if you don't do it all the time, then it's kind of like, okay. You got to buy in 100%. So like I have this thing, like I don't like to be late for things. And I was just, you know, the main reason I came here was to, to come back at the time I did because I always play in this golf tournament, uh, the Isaiah tournament. And I got doing things and I, I looked at the clock. Actually, we went on a hike. So I'm here and I want to get the hike in and I'm doing something really great. I'm doing something that, that is for me. It's, it's for helping me. I thought this is a great way to start out the day. It's a great way to bond with you. Yet by the time I got home, I looked at the clock and I'm like, okay, I still got to get a shower. I got to change and I get up there. And something said to me, you know what? Now's your opportunity, Tony. Now's your opportunity to use this. So I said, okay, universe, I'm going to let go of stress. I am not going to be stressed out. I'm not going to speed. I am not going to worry about what time I get there. What's the worst that could happen? I'm a little late. So I go, I get in the car, I turn on some good music. I enjoy the scenery. I enjoy the drive. I don't speed. I get there and I, I force myself not to look at the clock. I said, whatever you do, the minute you get in that car, you do not look at the clock because the clock is only going to be, the clock is not real. I got there. There was plenty of time. We didn't tee off. People were still, you know, eating their breakfast or whatever. And I thought I had to speed. So a great example so of why don't stress. Don't stress. It all worked out. I let it go. I let, the, right. I, let, I let the universe take over and say, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Because I was on that walk with you. I was being present. I did it. I made the decision. So once you make the decision to do something, be present with it. Just like if you realize that what you've started to do is not going to be the best thing for you, then you have to make the decision to stop it. You know, okay, I don't want to be a part of this. Or if it's something you say, well, I got to see the end of it, and then I'm going to make, I'm going to assess the situation, then you do that. But it was really magic. I actually got there, and I pulled up, and I took my bags, and I put them on the cart, and I looked at people, and you know what? Nobody, I wasn't really late. Nobody knew the difference. Everybody was talking. Everybody's having a good time. I started laughing inside of myself to the point where if somebody saw me, they would have probably saw a smirk on their face. And I just started walking around and I started looking at everybody and I started realizing that, you know what, it worked because why, was, why would I have been worried? Why would I have been worried? I would have worried because how would other people think of me? And you know what? They weren't thinking of me. They weren't thinking of me. So you know what I did? I took care of myself on the drive up. I had a, I did not stress out. I enjoyed it. I didn't speed. I didn't potentially get in an accident. I wasn't getting their angst. I went there and it was really great. It proves to you. So then that's how, that's how you do something. That's how you change. That's how you change. When you know that you have a behavior pattern that you want to change, use the, the no stress. Just, I'm not going to stress about it. Whatever it's going to be is going to be. I got myself into this situation. I decided to go on that walk. 
That's what it's going to be. Because in the end, that is a great example how they say when you're living presently, it kind of stops time. Because it kind of did. Because there's no way in heck that I got to that, that, that uh, tournament. In the time that I got to that tournament with the amount of time that I have, I almost said I, it's too eerie to realize. I know when I left because I looked at the clock right after I got out of the shower. And that was the minute I said, do not look at another clock. So had you been continuing to look at the clock, being stressed, it may have changed the outcome. It may have changed the outcome. Absolutely would have changed. And you know what? I may not be talking to you. I might have gotten into an accident. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, anything could have happened in that time. It, it's not, it, whatever it is, stress is not a normal human uh, emotion that you should have. It shouldn't. There's really very few that are natural. Love, joy, um, you know, equanimity, feeling that we're all equal, all of those kind of things. Anxiety, anger, stress, all of those things are made up in the mind. And they're only, they only can happen if you're living in the past or the future. But if you're living presently, then the present moment is all you have, and you accept the present moment fully for what it is, those things kind of just go away. They really become just momentary poofs, and you move on. And the key is, you know what, that's my story. That's how I did it. You may, whoever's watching this may have something else. But I say pick something that is really your Achilles heel and decide that you're not going to be stressed over it, that you're just going to accept the moment to where it is. Mine just happens to be being late for things. And, you know, when you really look at it, when it comes down to it, I was afraid of how people were going to think of me. In the end, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Right. And like you said, when you got there, no one was thinking. Nobody was. I just started laughing inside to myself. Like, who the hell was I to think that me being late was going to be of any importance to really of anybody else? It, it, it's really a non-issue. So, and you know what's really cool is I happened to play with a guy there that had a life alter. I mean, it was again. There are no coincidences. This is a guy I've seen around for years. Never had the opportunity to spend that much quality time with him. So I, we're halfway through our round, and the guy's just got the biggest smile on his face the entire day. And I'm like, wow, this is not the perception of the guy that I had. I always had this perception of this guy that he kind of was a know-it-all. He was a this. He was a that. And again, it was a judgment. But I went there and I'm just like enjoying the day. I'm enjoying the day. The guy is just having the biggest smile on his face. And we, we get to like the, the, I don't know, the ninth tee. And he gets up to the tee and it's a nice sunny day. And he looks up and he's like, and we're playing with his buddies. And he said, it was four years ago today that I almost died. Remember that guys? He had a stroke. They were on a way to go to some sort of outing. The night before he started having these feelings he gets rushed to the hospital, and he has a stroke. He died 17 times after that stroke. They kept reviving him. 17 times he wow, died. My God. And so he eventually, you know, was able to learn how to walk again, uh, get some of his motor skills. He said the two things that he lost: his ability to want to smoke and his golf swing. And I have to tell you, he figured out how to golf swing. But so I literally, I said, hmm, this guy was placed in my life right now. I want to talk to him. So I'd say to him, I'm like, I, I, I got to ask you something. Did that change your life? He said, absolutely. He's like, I have to tell you that the peace that I have inside of me right now, I can't even describe. When you've died and you've come back, I can't even tell you. Like, you wouldn't even, I can't even describe on a scale of how much peace that I have inside of me. 
So this guy has a business where I think he's in financing and insurance, but he's dedicated his life from that point on to building rehab centers for drug and alcohol. And so the guy he was with is a builder they're trying to, and they're, they were talking about the red tape and how hard it is. It's like, you would think these people who want to just go build million dollar things, they just can't. There's all these loopholes, there's this, there's that, and therein lies. But always still had a smile on his face talking about it and saying, you know what? We're figuring it out. We're figuring it out as we go, and we're helping people as we go, and that's all that matters. But because I asked him, I said, I, th I thought your line of work was, he's like, yeah, no, it is. I still have my business. It's whatever. But he's like, my real passion is really helping people. So do it, what you love. Do what, what you love do. and love what you do. And it takes and a life-altering situation sometimes to put us on that path. So that's why I said, can I ask you a question? I said, do you give thanks for that, that stroke? Every, he said, every single day. Every single day. I give thanks for that stroke. It changed my life. So there again, it shows you how the pattern of, you know, when you start taking care of yourself, you're going to attract those kind of people that are the same thing, which are going to help you on your journey. And that's really what it's about. It's about each one of us helping each other on our journey. So what I say is start vibrating at that path that you want, you know, because we're all just energy spinning around at different vibrations. And, our, and even our thoughts and our moods are vibration. And they're, they're signals that are going out. Which is, by the way, that Dr. Drew, you watch that because he actually says, I, he's like, it's amazing how I'm a doctor and that's what we're starting to realize, that thoughts, like, he can be with an addict. He, Dr. Drew talked about he was with this addict and all of a sudden during the interview with the addict, Dr. Drew started having a pain in his back. Thoughts travel. And he said, the, 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 the drug addict across from him said, oh, doc, I notice your back is hurting. Yeah, 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 I'm all right, I'm all right. He's like, that's where my father beat the shit out of me every day when I was a kid, right there, that spot. And so Dr. Drew said, he said, from that time on, I realized and I did research that that thoughts are energy and that that we're, we're all in this together. We're all in this soup, whatever you want to call it. So when you start realizing that everything you do, think, say, is affecting everything else then you realize and you'll be more cognizant of what you do think and say so what kind of life do you want to have do you want to have a joyous prosperous abundant life or do you want to think about your pain or you want to think about this I mean I've been doing this thing right now where if I get a pain the old me would have been like oh my god that's a tumor or that's this or that's that or my god am I gonna I just say oh okay there's that pain hmm, I wonder what that's here for but I know it'll be gone soon and it goes away it just goes away. And I think when you realize that that's what it is, because it's not, because I'm, I am just, basically, this is just a body, but there's something inside, there's something internal that's running all of this. And that we're all connected, whether you like it or not. You could be in Bangladesh, and what I'm doing here is, could be affecting somebody over there. You just don't know. Um, and that's really, really a powerful thing. And, and so when you become aware of that, and when you start having things happen to you in your life, that can show you firsthand account of that this has happening, then you start really making changes in your life. And then you see the magic that happens when you make those changes because you're like, wow, I cannot believe that. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just illustrated a little story to you about how I changed an uh, ingrained behavior and pattern that I have. So whatever I, I said to myself, look, I know that I'm not going to change this forever. I know that I'm going to be in a situation where I'm going to be late again and I'm, I may not catch it in time. But right now, I'm going to, by God, I'm going to try it. 
I'm going to try it right now. I'm no, from from the time I leave my house to the time that I get to that tournament. I'm going to be joyful. I'm just going to turn everything else off. All those other thoughts, I'm just going to turn off. And boy, what a day that I have. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and who knows if I would have had that day. Yeah, so that's a great story. Yeah, let's have those kind of days every single day of every every minute of every day. That's really that's really the key. Living in the present. Living in the present. Present moment.